to everyone who's joining us on Facebook Live and those who will be watching a little bit later. Welcome to all of you and happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Please give us some feedback, those of you who are watching on Facebook. Tell us if it's too loud, too soft, too dark, too light, whatever it is. Uh, we'd love to hear those comments and uh, share, share the post, share it with other people. And uh, thank you so much for watching. So uh, today we're continuing the series that we started a few weeks ago called Gifted. Gifted. And uh, if there's one thing that you need to know, it's that God has given you many, many gifts. Maybe you have not unwrapped them. Maybe you are not using them. Uh, but God is a generous gift giver. Um, how many of you, you like to give gifts to people? Birthday gifts, Christmas gifts, any kind of gifts. Fun to give gifts, isn't it? Well, imagine if you were God, ah, and you had the ability to give whatever you want to whoever you want. Oh, let me tell you, he enjoys giving people gifts, okay? So you have them. Do you know what they are? They are described all over the place in the Bible. Are you using them? And that's kind of what this series is all about, all right? So um, first week, we started out of Romans chapter 12, and we, we put a little group around these, a little fancy name called Ministry Gifts, a Bit of bit of bouncing around in my ears, Jason. I don't know if you can uh, if you can play with it a bit, but I feel a little bit of bouncing around in my ears, bouncing back and forth. I often joke, I I'm quite certain that I'm not possessed by anything, uh, but sometimes in, in churches I hear funny things. Okay, so see what you can do. Oh, that's a little bit better. So Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 8. We can call these the ministry gifts. It might actually be feedback. I'm not sure. Ministry gifts. And um, these, we learned, are according to the grace of God, right? We talk about thanksgiving. Well, grace means gift. And God, by the gift of salvation, he's given us gifts. They're according to God's grace. As we submit to the grace of God, we see these gifts start to come to life. We should know what they are. Uh, how can we know what they are? Well, we can do surveys, and we can go on the internet, and we can do all of these things that really you don't find anywhere in the Bible. You don't see Paul telling people to go take a survey or take a class to discover what their spiritual gifts are. Uh, you see Paul just described them as if we should know what they are, as if it should be easy, as if it should be obvious. Uh, those gift surveys and all of those things are great. I've taken many of them and read books on them and taught classes on them, but all they ultimately do is confirm what you already suspect about yourself, okay? Uh, but how can you know what they are? Four simple ways. Number one, get involved, do something. Uh, if you don't get involved, you're not using your gifts anyway. So get involved, get involved in your church community, get involved in your neighborhood, get involved in your parents' or your, your kids' school, get involved in something that's not just part of the everyday life thing, and you'll, you'll start to discover what your gifts are. You may be using your gifts exactly where you are without having to do anything extra. You may be using them in your work and in your school and all those things. But you've got to do something to figure out what they are. You will enjoy using the gifts of God. You're, they're not going to be a miserable experience for you. Others are going to benefit, and you're going to have a sense of the presence of God, the very presence of God. You will, you will sense his, his thrill, his 
pleasure, if you will, as you use your spiritual gifts, okay? And that's just that list in Romans chapter 12. We see a diversity of them in Romans 12. There's all kinds of them. We see prophecy and service and teaching and encouragement and giving and leadership and mercy. And we try to define what these things are. You can listen to the message or watch it uh, online if you'd like to review that. And that's just one list that we see in the Bible's New Testament. I was thinking about an experience that I had um, uh, it's not one of these gifts, but it's one that's coming in an upcoming list. And um, I remember when I was working in the marketplace, I had uh, a, an experience with a, um, a gentleman who, he was the kind of a guy who was into all these business books and he wanted to, you know, increase his knowledge in, in the business world and so on. I was working in commercial printing at the time. And I remember I was praying in the, in the morning before I went to work and uh, the, I felt like the Lord kind of dropped an idea into my heart. It was a little bit strange. And he said to me, I sensed anyway, I don't, I don't hear God in an audible voice ever. I think one time I heard God laugh at me, uh, but I don't hear an audible voice. But it's just a sense, just a prompting in my own heart about something. And uh, I, I honestly felt the Lord sort of prompt me to, to tell this guy, his name was Tony, to tell him to uh, read a particular book, I forgot the title of the book now, by an author named John Maxwell. So I went to work and was talking to him, and I said, you know, you ought to read such and such a book by John Maxwell. And when I said that, he froze, and his face changed color. And he said, uh, have you been looking in my bag? And I said, no. And he said, oh, I see we're losing the feed on the internet. Oh, looks like we've lost it. Oh, that's why they're on their phones. Okay, well, we'll keep going. We'll keep going, okay? Um, uh, yeah, where was I? So his face, his face turned like pale, and he said, are you, are you, you know, looking in my bag? And I said, no. And he said, well, you know, I happen to have that book in my bag, and I haven't read it yet. And uh, so that's, that's just an example of the practical working of the gifts of the Spirit uh, in your life. If it's not working, we'll just give up and, uh, and we'll do it another. Oh, you're back. Hey, Facebook people. Sorry we crashed, but we're back. Okay, good. So anyway, you know, the technology, we're so dependent on this tech stuff. When, it, when, when God pulls the plug, what happens? We all start, right? We can do it without it. We can do it with it. But anyway, uh, the ministry gifts, right? So, uh, and then we talked about the manifestational gifts, which are more this kind of supernatural flair from 1 Corinthians 12. And, um, and these, these are gifts of the Spirit, and we see spirit mentioned 10 times over in the passage and the message of wisdom and the message of knowledge and the word of faith and gifts of healing and miraculous powers and prophecy and discernment of spirits and tongues and interpretation of tongues. And we're all fascinated by these things. And number one complaint that I hear in churches of our stripe and flavor is, how come we don't see more of the gifts of God in our services and in our lives? And how come we read all these gifts? How come we don't see the gifts of God? And like we said last week, that's the wrong question to be asking uh, because Paul spends a whole lot more time in the passage talking about things that impede 
the use of these spiritual gifts, and he identifies there in, in quite an illustration using the physical body. Two things. Number one, comparison, because I am not a, you know, the foot says to, to the hand, I am not a hand, and so I don't belong. That's comparison. When people compare themselves with, other, that's a, with others, that's a toxin that impedes at times the work of God in your life. Or arrogance, when the foot says to the hand or the hand says to the foot, I don't need you. That's arrogance. When there's arrogance in the body of Christ and arrogance in the church, we shouldn't be asking where are the miracles, where are the signs and wonders. Instead, we should be fixing our own attitudes and our own toxic uh, character, right? And then maybe we'll see some of these things. Um, and we kind of stop there. So we're going to continue uh, and we're going to march on through the end of chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians and, and uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14 today. Uh, don't worry, you'll be, you'll be out in due time for your turkey, okay? Um, but this is not often taught upon. Um, and I find it a little bit uh, uh, unfortunate because it leaves people a bit in the dark. Uh, they don't often travel into chapter 13. They just stop in chapter 12. So I'm going to go a little bit further today. And today we continue with these manifestational gifts. But then you see some more at the end of chapter 12. So I'll call this manifestational slash leadership gifts. All right. So you, you see at the end of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, now you are the body of Christ. This is after he illustrates the church with this illustration of the physical body. You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay, we, we, we can get that. And in the church, God has appointed, these are more leadership kinds of gifts, God has appointed, first of all, Apostles. Ooh, that's the first time we've seen that word. First of all, apostles. Second, prophets. We've seen that a couple of times before. Third, teachers. Then, workers of miracles. It is an odd sequence here. Workers of miracles. Also, those having gifts of healing. Those able to help others. Those with gifts of administration an interesting list. You know, you put administration and miracles in the same list. And those speaking in different kinds of tongues, very diverse. Are all apostles? Implication, duh, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? He's asking a rhetorical question. So the context is the body's very diverse. You have very upfront parts. You have very uh, not upfront parts. He calls them presentable and non-presentable, referring to the human body. But you have all kinds of parts. And then he says, well, there's all kinds of parts in the church. And he's giving different parts. And he says, are all one part? Obviously not. Are all apostles? No. Are all Do all speak in tongues? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work? miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No, but some do. 
Some do this, some do this, some do this, some do this. Diversity, diversity, diversity. You can't have all one thing. You've got to have a variety of gifts cooking at the same time. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. We'll stop there for a moment. You look at this list of gifts, and it's on the screen there. You know, apostle, prophet, teacher, miracles, healings, helps, administration, <laughs> tongues. It's so weird because you think, you think on the one hand, well, you know, there's all this kind of miraculous stuff in there, and then he drops in helps and administration. The, the point is there's a diversity. And you say, well, I don't understand. Is there a ranking? Like are some gifts better than other gifts? He's at the top of the pile is the apostle. You know, and we love that term today in in uh, in churches of our stripe and, and denomination. We say, oh, an apostle. We, and we think, if there's an apostle in town, then we've got to go and see the apostle. We've got to hear the apostle preach. We've got to have the apostle pray for us because there's an apostle in town and the world kind of stops for the apostle. Uh, we have weird ways of defining this this word. Some people think uh, again, this is the this is the magician. This is the Christian who's got it all. They can lay their hands on someone and they'll be healed. They 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 speak in tongues. They prophesy. They do all this weird, wacky, supernatural stuff. That's the apostle. They're the cream of the crop. Okay, the word apostle just base it basic definition means a person that is sent forth. That's what the word apostle means. That's what the, the original language meant, the person who is sent forth to do something. So Paul identifies himself as an apostle. God calls him. He, he sends him forth with the message of salvation to preach it, to teach it, to write about it. He's, a, he's the first and most successful uh, uh, missionary. He's a sent forth person. That's just the basic, basic definition of the word. There's all kinds of uses of this word in Paul's letter. Sometimes he refers to it as a person who, who is authenticated by signs and wonders and miracles. Sometimes he refers to it as a person who has seen the Lord Jesus face to face. Sometimes he does not refer to the person that way. It's all kinds of ways that he uses the word. But if, if a basic, safe understanding the person is sent forth on a mission from God. That is, a, that is the basic sense of apostleship, okay? Um, I have met people who have this gift. I've seen it in missionaries. I've seen it in some church planters. I've seen it in people who have very, very wide capacities in what they're able to do for God. Unusually wide shoulders. Like, how are you able to do all of those things in one day? It's impossible. They do so many things. So Very, very influential people. Often they do... They're, their work is groundbreaking, their ministry is groundbreaking, it's innovative. That, that is some of what apostleship is. I think that the gift is very much alive today, but it's often, often thought of in all kinds of bizarre ways. And then you see the same things that we've seen before, prophet, teacher, miracles, healings. I love the fact that he drops in helps and administration. These are wonderful gifts in the body of Christ, but there's a diversity. That's the point. There's a diversity to it. And at the end of the chapter, he says, eagerly desire the greater 
gifts. Does that mean better? Does that mean some gifts are better than others? Well, no, because the way that you read the context, it's the, the toe is not better than the, than the thumb, right? The hand is not better than the foot. That's an arrogant claim. When he says eager desire, eagerly desire the greater gifts, he's probably talking about the ones that have the broadest impact and the greatest influence on the mass so, uh, so for instance, the uh, apostleship, when you see someone who has a gift of apostleship, they impact large numbers of people. I've seen it in writers. Their work is groundbreaking. Their books are, are trans, uh, tr they transform people's lives. I've seen it in some pastors, some missionaries, but there's, there's a huge reach. He's probably talking more about that than he is saying, well, one gift is better than another because he would be contradicting his own context, okay? So there's a diversity um, and we're, we're to seek these gifts. And he says, desire the greater gifts, again, probably meaning the ones that have the most impact on people. Um, now, the word for uh, uh, eagerly desire there, we get the word zealous from that or zeal in the English language. We get it from that old ancient word. So it's to be zealous for these gifts to be made manifest in our lives. And this is a good lesson for us. We like to complain that we don't see these spiritual gifts, but do we even desire them? Or do we sit there and say, well, God, you know, you better drop these gifts and these gifts better be happening or else you don't exist. I mean, God doesn't play that game, right? We have to seek him. We have to eagerly desire. We have to be zealous for these gifts to appear and start working in our lives. And then he continues, and this is my frustration is that we often stop here. And now I will show you the most excellent way. And he drops into what we call 1 Corinthians 13. So one of my big frustrations with, with the way that we, we deal with the Bible in the modern world. We put chapters and verses and numbers and all these things. And we have to by convention because we can find things that way. The Bible was not written that way. So what we tend to do is we stop at the end of chapter 12 and, you know, we go to sleep. And then maybe the next day we'll read chapter 13 as if it's a new thought. It is not a new thought at all. Paul is continuing his train of thought into chapter 13 and he doesn't miss a beat. And what we do with chapter 13 is we apply it today to romantic relationships, to marriage. If you've ever been to a, to a Christian wedding, they read out of 1 Corinthians 13 as if it applies to marriage. Okay, you could apply it to marriage, but that is not the application that Paul has in mind. Not at all. He's not thinking about marriage at all. He's thinking about the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. But what do we do? Because it's so poetic and it reads in such a beautiful way, especially when you translate it into English, we say, oh man, this will be real good at a wedding. This will make everybody feel good. And we'll read out of 1 Corinthians 13, love is this, and love is that, and love is this. And oh, look at that, so romantic, that's so beautiful. And Paul's, Paul's sitting there scratching his head saying, where'd you get that from? That's not what I was thinking of. I was thinking about spiritual gifts. Let me, let me show you this, okay? So the way of love and the spiritual gifts. I'm not talking about the way of, of cultural 
uh, uh, romantic definition. I'm talking about the way of love and the use of the spiritual gifts. Because Paul, in chapter 12, he says, here's two toxins, arrogance and comparison. And now he's going to say in chapter 13, let me show you how to operate in the gifts of God in something that is greater than the very gifts themselves, and that is love. And this is what he has in mind. Chapter 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, I mean, a person speaks in tongues until, you know, the sun goes down. I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love. What am I? I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's a bunch of, of useless noise if I do not have love. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have a gift of faith that can move mountains, obviously playing on something that Jesus said there, but I have not love, I am what? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You see why it's read in weddings? I mean, it's so poetic. I've, I had this in my own wedding. It was in the bulletin. You know, you quote from 1 Corinthians 13. He's not thinking of a wedding, okay? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not uh, a proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Watch this. For we know in part... We prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Stop. There is an idea that the perfect that Paul is referring to here is the completion of the Bible. And so when we have the complete Bible, we have no more need for the gifts of the Spirit. And this is what some people interpret it this way. And they say, you see, now we have the complete Bible, all 66 books. We have the perfect, and therefore the imperfect has gone. We have no more need of miracles and all these gifts of the Spirit. Let me tell you that that is the one thing that this text cannot mean. Because the Corinthians would have never understood it that way. The way that they would have understood it is perfection is when, when God brings in the consummation of all things. When Jesus returns, you will have perfection. This is the way that they would have thought about it. When perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. He gives an illustration. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, an adult, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Back in that day in, in Corinth, mirrors were not typically made of glass unless you had a lot of money. 
they would, they would shine a particular kind of metal, and that would be the common mirror in Corinth. So you'd look in this mirror, and it's kind of, eh, it's not like modern mirrors. Unless you had a lot of money back in Corinth, you could get a mirror that would be like, whoa, there's, there's my reflection. But most of the time, you'd look, and it's, it's a kind of, a, it's, it's rough. It's a misrepresentation in, in some ways of what I'm looking at. It's a, it's a poor reflection as in a mirror, Corinthian mirror. Then we shall see face to face. When is the then? It's when perfection comes. When is that? It's at the consummation of all things. When is that? It's at the second coming. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And I drop into 1 Corinthians 14, uh, uh, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So the whole thing is about the use of the gifts of God in the context of the community of the church. But I want to show you this love chapter uh, as we start wrapping up here in a way that you perhaps have not seen it before. So put on the screen, love and love not. All right, and what I've done is I've picked out what, what the way Paul writes, and I put it in two little columns so you can see what, he, what he's doing, all right? Now, I, I, I have known a lot of Christians, okay? I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> That's, I'm a pastor, so I've known a lot, a lot of Christians. Some Christians, they're on the right side of the screen, and some are on the left side of the screen. I just need to tell you that. Maybe you have met some folks and you could say one's on the left side, but one's on the right side. Like it is possible for a person who calls himself a Christian to be envious. It is. I have met some. But the way that we're supposed to be is the side on the left. All right. And I think I skipped over. Oh, I skipped over one thing. Back up one slide. Back up. This, if you learn anything about this chapter, learn this, okay? What the culture does with this word love is it's something that you're in or something that you're not in. What the Bible does with love is the reverse. So I would say it this way, being in love, which is the way the culture defines it, versus love being in you, which is the way the Bible defines it. And just on the subject of, of relationships and marriage, because everybody tries to apply this uh, to marriage, you can certainly try to do that. Marriage is a relationship, obviously. But let me just tell you, married people in the room, people who, who you know, you're thinking about that, or, you, you know, down the road, you could see that happening in your life. It's not about you falling in love. It's about whether or not love is in you. Your marriage, this is going to be a real, real shocker to you. Your marriage is temporary. That's quiet. Your marriage is temporary. One day your marriage will end. One day it will end. Even if you're believers and you, you, you're both in heaven, it's not the same. It's, it's completely different there. Does that mean the person is no longer my spouse? No, but the nature of the relationship is completely different. What marriage is, is a, is a rehearsal for heaven. It is an illustration of the church. It is God's way of, of stabilizing community and culture and city and town and nation and world. But it is a temporary arrangement that God has put in place until the ultimate consummation of things. 
Just saying, if you put all your eggs in your marriage basket and you think this is it, this is eternal, this is never ending, you're wrong. It is a temporary thing that is going to end one day is love in you. It's not whether or not you are in love. This saying, well, I I fell in love with the person, you know what that implies? That implies that you can fall out of love. All you're doing there, that's an emotional Walt Disney definition of love. That's a Hollywood definition of love. The Bible's definition of love in relationships is what you read in 1 Corinthians 13. In particular, he is referring to the operation of the gifts of, of the Spirit in the church community. Does it apply to marriage? Sure you can. But this is what he's thinking about. But remember, are you in love or is love in you? Because you ultimately decide. And those of you who've been married for a long time, you know that what I'm saying is true. You ultimately decide in the morning whether you punch that clock. Yes, I choose to love today. (laughs) And if you forget to punch the clock, well, you may not feel like you're in love anymore. How come I'm not, I don't feel it anymore? You don't feel it anymore because your definition is, is off-center. If you go by a biblical definition, it'll be better. So go back, to the, go back to the columns there. Love and not love. So love, Paul says, it's patient. It's kind. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. It rejoices with truth. It never fails. By contrast, not love, or love does not do, or love is not, this, this is the bad side on the right side, envious. Love, it's, it's not envious. It's not boastful. It's not proud. You ever met a boastful, proud, envious Christian? I have. The two do not go together. Rude self-seeking, easily angered. I was in the, the bakery the other day, and speaking about tech that goes wrong, we this bakery, you, you have a number, and they call your number. And when they call your number, you get served. And lo and behold, the gizmo that changes the numbers broke. It was stuck on one number. You should have seen the looks on the people's faces. I mean, I'm glad we weren't in you know, South Carolina, <laughs> a weapon come out. I mean, people were, people were upset. And I'm telling you, it was one, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, and you could see the veins coming out of people's necks. I mean, easily angered. And I just paused because I was in the line. And I thought, I looked around and I said, boy, Lord, I hope I'm not easily angered. Because these people are. They're real easily angered. What's it going to take to make me easily angered? Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I'll, I'll use this, uh, one word to say that. It's, it's not unforgiving. When you keep a record of wrongs and you have a list, back in yonder year there, 1926, you did this. Don't you remember Back there, you did the same thing, don't you remember? That's keeping a list. When you have relationships within the body of Christ, you get a list of wrongs that you have against the person. That's not very forgiving, is it? You say, well, does that mean I have to forget? No. Well, there's a beautiful verse in Jeremiah that's quoted in Hebrews 8, I think it is. God says, I will remember their sins no more. Does God forget? No. What it means is God doesn't keep a list. 
Through the blood of Jesus, he crumples up the list. He throws it away. He doesn't say, hey, 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 <laughs> you remember all this stuff that you did? He says, no, it's all crumpled up. It's all thrown away because of what Christ did on the cross. He keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't hold that stuff against you, even though he obviously remembers it. It does not delight in evil or lies because on the other side, he's talking about truth. So delighting in evil would be delighting in lies. You ever met people who delight in lies? They listen to lies they propagate lies, they repeat lies, they traffic in lies. That's not the way of love in relationships that people are to have with one another within the body of Christ. Don't think that the gifts of God are going to be operational if you're on the right side. If you're on that not love side, and you're the person who says, God, how come I prayed for this person and nothing happened? How come I did this and nothing happened? How come I, don't have, I feel like I don't have any spiritual gifts working in my life? Make sure you're not on the, on the wrong column, right? So a lot of it has to do with our character. A lot of it has to do with the motivation. A lot of it has to do with the matters of the heart and the way that we're thinking about these things. You know, the Corinthian church was wild, wild church. And yet the gifts of God were still operational in the thing. Amazing. God, by his grace, used people in that church even though it was wild and crazy and out of control. So out of control that Paul had to chastise them in half of this letter. It is a, it is a stark, stark rebuke. Imagine God still used these people in spite of themselves. But what he wants, the norm is you follow the way of love, chapter 14, verse 1, and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. I think I put eager desire, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. The two work in combination. So maybe you're a person today and you're frustrated. You want to see more of the, the power of God. You want to see more of the working of God in your life. Maybe you're frustrated. Follow the way of love and eagerly, zealously Desire the works of God in your life, and you will see those things happen. Band, if you could come up to the stage, and um, boy, that second song that you guys did, yeah, can you do that? It's a nice, nice Thanksgiving song. Great set today. And uh, I wonder if we could stand and we could have the house lights on. Go ahead and begin to play in the background. I'm just going to, going to uh, close in prayer here. I am so convinced, folks, that there are people here in this room and you are underused in the, in the sense of God wants to use you in ways that you are not being used in right now. And you may not be aware of it. You may not believe it. You may not think that that would be even possible. But I'm here to tell you that you are underused. And God wants to use you in ways that you may say, I, I just, I can't even see myself doing that or saying that or whatever that's usually how you know that it's God <laughs> that's usually how you know it had nothing to do with you it had everything to do with God you know those gifts of the spirit in particular those supernatural ones we need those now because we're in an imperfect time in an imperfect world 
Some of you even standing in this room, like you need physical healing in your life now. You need a gift of healing to be made manifest in your life now. You know people who need that and they need it now. It's very, very practical. God wants to drop those things into our lives. We've got to seek them and we have to follow that way of love.